Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. I, Jason Carpenter, have discovered a new intoxicating drug. I, I found it out myself. Firefighters. I don't know why I was so excited that I may may be the inventor of gin 2.0. Firefighters go to a farm in the middle of the night to put out a fire and end up in a sticky predicament. And then we take a trip on the SS Valencia, a passenger ship that ran aground off the coast of British Columbia. And to this day, the horror stories of that night are still etched into the soul and the sand of a lonely beach today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. So I discovered a new drug. Shake it up here. Shake it up. Shake it up. That'll be the theme song for the when I start advertising this drug, when I become a drug baron. Actually, why am I telling you guys about this? I should probably patent it first. It is saying something to put in the public, patenting something. Can I walk out and I'm like, self-driving wheelbarrow. And then everyone's like, damn it, I can't do that now because he said it. Let me take a sip of my new drink. This is the true Jason juice, by the way. If you drink this, you will feel like me. Because when I drink it, I, I feel like, whoa, whoa, okay, that's a side effect. It wants to explode. So, I discovered this. Actually, I don't think I can patent it because um, I, I bought it. But if you take a sparkling water drink, like none of that gross stuff like bubbly or LaCroix. Get, get a real drink. I choose sparkling ice, cherry limeade. Sparkling ice, cherry limeade. Or clear American ice, which I think they're discontinuing cherry lemonade and then you take 500 milligrams of turmeric with ginger in it it's these are the little pills you can buy you don't i'm not asking you to go to the steps of mongolia and start picking turmeric yourself you can just buy little turmeric supplements or the powder itself it doesn't matter and then you insert you break open the pill if you have the pill and you put the powder in your drink right and then i'm going to take a drink here I, here's the thing Either I've discovered that a combination of sparkling water and turmeric has a, um, an into- I wouldn't say intoxicating, but definitely a lightheaded, pleasant effect, or I'm giving myself, an, I'm, or I have an allergic reaction to turmeric. But I've taken turmeric before. I've been taking turmeric supplements for a while in pill form, and then one day I got some powdered turmeric, and it was like, pour it in your drink for a boost of energy. So I so technically I can't patent it because someone else did it, but I did it and I was like, whoa, man, where's the floor, dude? Why are we like on a ball in the darkness of space, man? Like I was like, good thing I don't have a car because I was not feeling good. Well, I was feeling great. That was a problem. So turmeric, sparkling ice or clear American ice, whatever flavor, but, but I know for a fact the cherry limeade stuff works or the cherry lemonade. 
And yeah, dude, it's really weird. It's almost, I don't want to say like I'm already floating through the void, but we'll see. And it's hard to overdose. Okay, let me rephrase that. It You can overdose on it, but it's like the overdose is like 1,500 milligrams, so you'd have to do it three times a day, which to be fair, as good as it can make you feel, probably not hard to do. But anyways, turmeric. Clear American Ice, please don't everyone go up. <laughs> what if this becomes the new face-eating drug? This is bath salt 2.0. I just haven't figured that out yet. I think I'm feeling like super chill and everyone else is like hiding the silverware from me. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm feeling good. Okay, let's go ahead, though, and get started with the actual episode. Let's go ahead. We're going to hop into a fire truck. We're going to sneak on. We're going to get all... You can get on my shoulders and we'll wear a giant... Fireman's costume, what are they called? The uniform. That's, that's normally what they're called. Hey, cop! Nice costume. Yeah, don't say that. You get on my... I'm assuming we're both only like three feet tall, so we're like the little rascals. You get on my shoulders, and you're like, Jason, that's very, very kind of you. Normally, you make me carry you around. And I'm like, I know, right? I am a good host. Blame it on the Jason juice. So I put you on my shoulders. We're both three feet high. So it takes both of us to fit into one fireman's costume, <laughs> walking into the fire station, and I, I'm being extra wiggly, you're all, uh, uh. and the firefighters, we are actually in Yarram, which is in Victoria, Australia. So Yarram is probably the city, and Victoria is the state or province. Australia! So imagine everything's upside down in this story. It's September 2019, so very, very recent, and we're all sitting in the playing cards, and I'm kind of like falling asleep. You're like, oh, my legs are asleep. And you're just kind of like uh, waking me up because the alarm goes off and it's like. And so anyways, all the firefighters are getting up and they're running around. They're wondering why you were wearing your fireman's giant jacket that whole time. I imagine now that I'm thinking about it, firefighters don't wear those giant jackets anymore. They go all the way down to their ankles. They may not have ever worn them. I think I just saw them in a cartoon or something. It's 3 a.m. We're riding with the firefighter crew. We get a call out to a barn. Well, to a farm. It's multiple barns, not just one. It's a very successful farm. And it's called Yarum Herd Services. So, firefighter truck, fire engine is the name of it, drives past the sign, says Yarum Herd Services, and we all jump out. Oi, 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 getting the hoses ready. And I'm making sure we're getting super close to the fire. You're like, no, dude, stop. I don't even have a hose yet. I'm all, because <laughs> I know what's going to happen here. Yarm Herd Services, what they do is they provide breeding services. Breeding services, right? So there's all these cylinders lining the farm. They're all giant. They're all these giant cylinders. They're all full of bull semen. And they're on fire. And so they're full of boiling bull semen. <laughs> Sounds like some dubstep song. But it's not. It's bubbling, boiling bull semen. And it's so hot that the lids are exploding off the cylinder and bulges is just flying all over the place and now you know why i volunteered to be the legs on this story and you're like run and i'm like just standing perfectly still you're all getting all over you it's like the ending of ghostbusters when the marshmallow man blows up but not that 
It's not that substance. You're like, oh, I've been slimed in my... <laughs> and then you you just your whole body becomes HPV. Actually, I wonder <laughs> I wonder I know animals can get actually no, I don't. Can animals get STDs? Like I I'm sure monkeys can have AIDS, but it doesn't affect them, right? Can a dog have gonorrhea? <laughs> just stating that question made my stomach hurt. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, I'm not acting. Just that visual is making. Mm. Let's table that discussion. <laughs> I think that's a dead rabbit radio first, where I'm just like, nope, I can't go down that path. But anyways, oh my god, that's disgusting. Anyways, I'm sure animals can have some sort of STD. Then we'll just leave it at that. Anyways, bull semen's gone everywhere. Now I didn't know this. You there? Here's some. Here's some bull. So they put the fire out. It's not still raging. There's not bull boiling bull semen epidemic traveling across Australia. But here's some bull semen um, tidbits. One of them is not about STDs. That's disgusting. Bull semen is measured in straws, which is disgusting. Like, don't measure it in something that you you put your mouth on. If you have a disgusting, you're like, hey, we, how many, how much feces do we have? Oh, we got about three mouthfuls. Like, what? No, don't measure it. In st- why a straw, oh, Jason? Because it's a tube. That they name it a tube. I got thirty-five tubes of bull semen over here. Because if you say I got thirty-five straws of bull semen over here, the visual is you are ready to go. It's not a straw. Is something you put in a milkshake. It is not something that you fill full of bull semen. Here's a here's a bull. You're like Jason. When did your podcast become paranormal conspiracy and bull semen tips? I just got one more. I just got one more. Bull semen. So this guy's bull semen wasn't that valuable. His per straw was about five dollars to ninety five dollars per straw, which it's more valuable than a straw full of my semen, sure. But I would be disappointed if I had a bull that I raised and it was like my prize bull. And he only got five bucks for some of his semen. I'd be like, oh, man. I'd be disappointed. And then this other guy's bull can get 95 bucks for a little bit of a semen. So I just find that weird. But, so this guy, but that was like bottom of the barrel stuff. That was like lame semen. Because some of these straws go up for And it's like Wagyu beef, Wagyu Wagyu beef. It's that special beef they eat in Japan. You get them big bowls, those perfectly bred bowls, $8,000 for a little bit of their semen so you can go inject it into a, not inject it, you impregnate, be the proper, proper term, into a female cow, and then have little Wagyu babies. But anyways, so there you go. There is your daily bull semen. I'll have more bull semen tips tomorrow. On Dead Rabbit Radio, the daily paranormal conspiracy and bull semen podcast. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. We're taking off our uniforms, and you're going to go take a shower. And when you're done, you're going to meet me on the deck of the SS Valencia. Birds are flying by. Uh, Do birds fly at night? Anyways, no. Birds aren't flying by because it's midnight. It's 1906, so it's old-timey. Everything smells like sepia tone. And it's January 22nd, which is not a good combination. You're in the middle of the night. 
January 22nd, which means it's going to be cold. Oh, also we're in British Columbia, so Vancouver Island, British Columbia. So winter, up north, midnight, not a good combination, right? Nobody likes those things, except like the Windigo. The SS Valencia is a passenger steamer. 56 crew members, 108 passengers. So everyone, it's midnight. The only people who are really awake are the crew. No one else is kind of dancing around. It's not the Titanic. Just everyone's asleep at this point. Now, they've been having some problems. The weather was bad. They had navigation tools, but their navigation tools were based on the stars. So at this point, they had to do a thing called dead reckoning, where they're like, if we were headed in this direction before we lost all this visibility, we must. We have to assume we're still headed in this direction. Very, very dangerous way to pilot a ship. But it, it's what they had to do. It's It's midnight. And the boat is going through the water. The SS Valencia is going through the water. <laughs> Apparently also a giant is walking across the landscape. So we have a storm that's picking up. We have midnight. It's winter. The boat can't see where it's going. And then, of course, tragedy strikes. So <laughs> the boat ends up hitting a bunch of rocks. So they're like, well... We were headed in the right direction because we were trying to get to land, but not this way. The boat just gets tore up in the bottom, immediately begins taking in water. Now, the captain comes out. Everyone At this point, everyone is awake, and if they were dancing, they definitely stopped. Boat's taking water, and the captain goes, okay, this is not good. I'm not, I've not been a captain for long, but I'm pretty sure boats are supposed to be on top of the water. Let's, and there's no way, they're just massive damage. So he goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. A hundred yards out. They can see it. A hundred yards out is a small beach. We're going to crash the boat onto the beach on purpose because otherwise we're going to sink. And everyone's like, are you sure, Captain? And he's like, yes, I just said that. I'm not spitballing. This isn't a committee. Let's just do it. I'm the captain. And that's not a bad plan. I mean, at that point, the boat had taken so much damage that they they weren't going to be able to repair it. And land was only a football field away. So... They decide to go and purposely crash the boat into the land. But they don't get far at all. They end up crashing into more rocks. And now they're actually stuck on the rocks. The waves are so high. The storm is so bad. And now they're not moving up and down with the ocean. Now they're actually stuck to the ground. And they can still see the beach. Still around 100 yards in front of them. The waves are so high at one point, so after the boat hits the rocks the second time, a bunch of people came up out of the hole of the ship to see what was going on. And as people were coming out of the door, a wave came over the ship, washed like 10 people overboard, killed them. At this point, everyone's like, oh, oh my god, Like we're this is not a good situation for us to be in. We're stuck. And these waves are actually bigger than the boat. We're not moving with the ocean anymore. We're basically its prey. Wave after wave of just this cold January water is just smashing into this boat. And unless you were holding on to something or inside the boat, you were going overboard. The problem is the inside of the boat was filling full of water. Winds of up to 35 miles an hour. People are dressed in their nightgowns. Their little booties, a little pajama slippers, a little sleepy time cap. Freezing cold winter water is attacking them from both above and below. Here's a quote from one of the survivors. Screams of women and children mingled in an awful chorus. 
with the shrieking of the wind, the dash of rain, and the roar of the breakers. As the passengers rushed on deck, they were carried away in bunches by the huge waves that seemed as high as the ship's mastheads. The ship began to break up almost at once, and the women and children were lashed to the rigging above the reach of the sea. It was a pitiful sight to see frail women wearing only nightdresses, with bare feet on the freezing ratlines, trying to shield children in their arms from the icy wind and rain. If you weren't in a safe area, and they were quickly running out of safe areas, they were tying you to the ship. So you would get hit by that water and you'd get frozen, not like in place, but you'd get really, really cold, but at least you wouldn't be going overboard, because people were just getting knocked overboard. Captain goes, okay, guys, I mean, this is not good. Obviously, people are getting tied to the boat. Captain goes, let's lower the lifeboats. Let's get the lifeboats ready. We're not going to drop them yet, but we're going to bring them down, get them ready. So when we're ready to drop them, we can drop them. Am I clear? And everyone's like, yes, sir. And then the power goes out. So now they're in the pitch black, middle of the night. This huge problem's going on. And people start seeing the lifeboats come down to the side of the ship. So passengers begin to jump into the lifeboats. They're like, oh, come on, finally. Here, let's take this rope off my hand. Come on, get the kids on the boat. Come on, dude. That was the sound of someone being put in the boat. Doot, 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 doot. More people being put in the boat. And the captain's like, what is, hey, guys, no, 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 no. We're not lowering the lifeboats yet. Don't lower the lifeboats. But people in the lifeboats were yelling, no, 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 lower it, lower it, lower it. And the crew... In the middle of the night, in this huge, super loud storm, couldn't really figure out what the order was. There's seven of these lifeboats. As the captain's trying to figure out what to do in this huge storm, people are like, they're telling me to lower the lifeboat, so I'm going to lower the lifeboat. So they start lowering these lifeboats full of people. And as they're lowering these lifeboats, whether it was a snag, human incompetence, the storm, whatever, The captain was right to say they don't lower those lifeboats yet. Because there's seven of them. Six of them have people in them. The first three flip over as they're being lowered. And you have 10 to 20 people per boat fall onto the rocks. Mostly women and children. And smash into the rocks that have trapped the boat in the first place. Killing them instantly. Those that didn't die by hitting a rock was just swept out into the cold, wet darkness. Three lifeboats just emptied their contents, screaming people falling into the darkness. Now the captain (laughs) captain realizes what happened at this point and is flipping out. Obviously, the crew, everyone's panicked at this point because... You think about it, a lifeboat is supposed to be your way. It's a lifeboat. It's the way you get out of these bad situations. And that safety mechanism has failed so catastrophically that they were watching women and children fall into the ocean. The other three do get successfully launched. So it really was luck of the draw. You had 50-50 chance whether or not you just fell into the dark water or ended up in one of the other three boats. But those boats, two of them capsized. Because it's just, it was not... You're lowering them onto basically rocks. And then they had to get off the rocks because that's where the boat is locked in, into the water. Two of them get in there, capsize. 
Now, these people, they didn't smash into rocks, but they drowned very, very quickly. The third lifeboat, never seen again, some say. And we'll get to that. We'll get to the legends in a bit. But this is a 100% true story. This isn't a legend, but... Out of the lifeboats on the other side, 12 men were able to survive. The women and the children in those boats, too, absolutely dead. Absolutely dead. So now the only people you have, you have the crew on the ship, you have the male passengers, you have the remaining women and children who stayed on the boat, smartly stayed on the boat, and were getting tied down to it. And now you have these 12 men who had tried to go on a life raft, and it capsized, and everyone else died on it but them. One of the men finds himself on a wet rock that's poking out of the ocean. He's holding on to it. Just wave. Wave. Land is less than 100 yards away. And you can look at it. And after an hour of holding on to that rock, a wave finally smashes into him. And everyone just sees now an empty rock. I think that honestly is the worst. Like, it's one thing to be like, ah, fall on a rock. But to for an hour hold on to a rock and then eventually lose, that would suck. That would be the worst. That would be the worst. First off, I don't really like doing anything for an hour. (laughs) I don't even like standing up for an hour. So the fact of holding on to something, but each minute passing and going like, no, 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 I don't want to go. I don't want to go. After about 45 minutes of that, I'd be like, yeah. But just the terror, an hour long. So out of the 12 people, 12 men in that boat, one of them got washed away on a rock. Two of them ended up getting separated from the group. Not like they were a group. They were just a bunch of panicked dudes trying to make it to the beach who happened to survive these capsized boats. Two of them ended up in a cave. That's not a good place to be next to the ocean when the tide is rising. So they're in a cave and the tide is rising. Now, there's a beach here, but it's not a tropical resort. It's a beach. And then there's a hundred foot high cliff. So it's not like if they can get to the beach, they're going to sit and they're going to, you know, start drinking out of coconuts. They then have to scale a hundred foot high cliff to get rescued. So these two guys are in this cave and the water's getting higher and higher. And they're like, we, we can't swim for it. We can try climbing this hundred foot cliff. And they start climbing the cliff and they both fall off into the rocks and die again horrible like just just die in the beginning if you're not going to make it like obviously they don't know the end of the story i do but i think that's just the worst so what happens is those remaining nine dudes who are now on the beach they also have to climb this hundred foot cliff in a rainstorm in the middle of the night and dark but they do now boats are situated with these things called lyle guns and what it is it's basically like a a really cool looking harpoon that goes And it's a hook with a long rope on the end of it. And I had to do a bunch of research on Lyle guns. Like, the rope can't be too thick, but it can't be too flimsy. And what it does is you shoot it to shore and tie it around something, and then that gives a way for people to be able to climb on the rope to get to safety. So it's a last-ditch thing. After you've used, like, life preservers and lifeboats and life rafts and all this stuff, because it's hard and you know they have special equipment like baskets they can shuffle basically it creates like a zip line type thing but in this case you're shooting it they on the the captain goes get the lyle gun ready we're going to shoot it to the top of that cliff it'll give us at least a way to start moving people off the boat it's not the easiest thing to do but it's their only option first shot doesn't work these things were actually quite fragile 
Because you had to load it just right. As you would imagine, a bullet made of rope would have to be done. But they do shoot off another lion. And they see it go off into the forest on the top of the cliff. The captain's like, that's awesome. All we need to do is get someone here, get the Lyle gun rope line on that side situated. He doesn't know the terminology either. We'll be, we'll be good. So the crew has now climbed this 100-foot cliff. And they have a decision to make. To their right, they see a telegraph line. Again, this is 1906. People aren't picking up the radio in the middle of the ocean being like, mayday, mayday. Unless you can see their little flippy floppy light things, you're toast. They see a telegraph line running through the forest. And they go, we should go that way. And then that's obviously the best decision because they could go, this must be civilization that way. If they had turned to the left, they would have been a, a short distance away from where the Lyle gun had landed. They would have been able to tie that down and start getting people off the boat. But they didn't. They had no communication with the ship. They didn't even know the Lyle gun was fired. They had right. While all that was going on, there was still that one remaining lifeboat. They didn't really know if anyone had made it to the beach. Because it's pitch dark. They just saw the three boats tip and then the three boats capsize. So they don't know. So the last lifeboat, a group of guys is like, we need to get off this boat. We need to get help. Because we're totally done. And the captain goes, okay, you can take this lifeboat. But... Your main priority is to get to the top of that mountain and tie down that Lyle gun. We can start getting people off this boat. And the, the, the rescue team at this point says, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. Now, the state of the boat at this point is basically graham crackers and milk. Because it's so heavily damaged and these waves are hitting it so hard, chunks of the boat are getting destroyed. A little bit here, a little bit there. But because the boat has no give, it's basically just a block of wood and metal in the middle of this giant storm. Which is every boat, but boats go up and down. This boat is not moving, it's stuck. The waves are hitting it so hard, it's starting to fall apart. And so they're running out of time. Now, these other dudes get in this boat, they take off. They actually, the boat lands successfully, they get to shore, and they see a sign that says... Three miles to Cape Beale. And they're like, we can make three miles. We can do this. And the other people are like, what about the Lyle gun? They go, forget the Lyle gun. We're going to get to Cape Beale. Because they didn't, They had no idea where they were at at this point. They didn't know if they were near civilization or this was an abandoned island until they saw that sign. They go, oh, you have the other team that found the shack. But again, nobody knows that they're even alive. This rescue team goes, let's go to Camp Beale. Let's call for help. Then we can tie the Lyle gun down. We just, we'll get some other boats here. So they take off. Takes them two and a half hours. They make it to Cape Beale. They run in. They're like, oh, oh kicking, do- kicking doors down. They're dripping wet. And they're like, we need to call for help. We need to call for help. This boat. And they tell the whole story. And someone turns around and goes, yeah, we just got that call for help like four minutes ago. They're like, what? They're like, yeah, somebody from some cabin across the island called up, sent out the distress call saying that uh, there's a boat wrecked down there, rescue crews on the way. So they had already been beaten to the punch on that, but it's fine. There wasn't a contest. No one's keeping score. Now, here's the weird thing about this story. A day has passed at this point. So it's not, like, at a certain, again, it's a certain point where you're on a boat and you're like, oh no, we're going to sink, we're going to sink. And then 23 hours later, you're like, oh no, we're going to sink, we're going to sink. So the sun comes up, There's still this massive storm going on. People are getting hungry. 
They're like, oh, I'm so hungry. Ah, waves. <sighs> like you're going through all the normal stuff you go through throughout a day. Not, I'm sure they had to go to the bathroom, but you know what I mean? Like you get tired and you want to take a nap and you're kind of hungry and then you're thirsty. All that stuff. This doesn't happen over the course of two hours. It's day two of this and people are still soaking wet, freezing. There's blood in the water. The boat's stuck, and you can see land 100 yards away. But now, they can actually see boats in the distance. And people are like, oh, oh my god. The nightmare is over. There's we, there's boats here. We are going to be rescued. Now, on the boats, they're like, okay, guys, let's get ready to rescue these guys. But they were the Valencia was so close to the land, the storm was raging, the boats cannot even come close to this thing. They end up finding a barge, like recruiting a barge with like a flat bottom. But even that was like, I can't get to it. And so the captain was said, hey, listen, we got a couple life rafts. Those are, these are those little cheapo ones. They're not the big lifeboats that everybody loves, that everyone died in. We have these really flimsy life rafts. Let's get in them. And we'll start shuffling people back and forth between us and the, the SS Queen was that boat that was out in the distance, the big boat. Get in the life raft, we'll go out, and then you can come back, go out. Most people said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I will take my chances on the SS Valencia. I'm not getting in a life. Every time someone has gotten off this boat, they have died. They don't know what's going on with the rescue crew, although they could probably figure it because now there's uh, uh, ships in the distance. But for the most part, everyone who's gone off this boat has died. I'm staying on the boat. Captain's like, okay. And so people start getting in the life rafts and they go off towards the Queen. The boats that can't get to Valencia say, you know what, we'll go overland. We'll have to go through the forest and see if we can figure out a way to save them. The, the plan at this point is because they know the Lyle gun was shot, because the one team told them, is to do an overland rescue. They're going to bring all their rescue stuff to the cliff face, attach the Lyle gun, good to go. So at this point, the overland team, they come to the edge of the cliff. They see the Lyle gun hooked there, and they're like, this is perfect. We're going to tie this down. We're going to get this going. Everything's fine. As they're tying the Lyle gun hook down, you have this entire crew of people looking over the cliff at the SS Valencia. And a giant wave just goes... Smashes into it so hard, the giant like, steam stack, you know, you see how like, those big old boats... Just falls over. And that was the last thing that was protecting the inside of the boat from the water. You had the people that were lashed down to the sides of the boat. You had a bunch of people inside the top portion of the boat. Because everything else was flooded. And you had the giant steam stack, basically the roof. That when it the wave hit it, it basically ripped the roof off. And that was the end of it. That was absolutely the end of it. The water began rushing into every wave now came directly into the top of the boat and washed people out. The people on the cliff are actually watching dozens of people just fly out, not like Peter Pan, but being lifted out of the boat. Each wave grabbed a handful of humans and just threw them against the rocks. The people who were tied to the boat were basically human debris. Because once the support structures were gone, every time a wave hit, a chunk of the boat would go flying off, and you would be tied to a piece of wood or a piece of steel that would either float you out into the darkness 
or drag you to the bottom of the sea. All in all, there was 56 crewmen. There was 108 passengers. 20 people survived. All men. Captain was never found. His body was never found. And that boat is still there. There's, you can actually go to this beach and you can still see the whole, not like, it's not like a little skeleton of a boat. It's not super dramatic, but you can see the flat, just pieces of steel that are just on the beach. It's considered a protected artifact. The government leaves it there as a reminder. They ended up, there was this huge controversy. They ended up having to build a bunch of lighthouses in the area. Not all in the same place. They didn't just build three, three lighthouses on the beach and go, we're done. 27 years later, Lifeboat number five, seen just kind of drifting through the bay. Someone walks out. They don't walk out. They take a boat. Boat out to it. That's weird. It says on it, SS Valencia. What? And they said it was weird because it was a 27-year-old lifeboat in good condition. Been floating in the sea the whole time. Pretty good condition. It's now in a museum. That's an anomaly. It's weird that a boat would last that long with just floating in the water. That a bunch of crabs didn't take it over. But then we have the stories of fishermen in the area early in the morning out plying their trade, trying to catch fish. And they see a life raft float by them. And they just see skeletons rowing it through the fog. And then, more horrifying than a bunch of skeletons rowing a boat, which would be kind of funny. Xylophone music playing the whole time. That's Calliope, by the way, but it doesn't matter. More horrifying than that story is the stories of the SS Valencia itself as a ghost ship. Sailors have said late at night in the fog or during particularly stormy nights. They can look out through the mist and see the ghostly outline of that passenger ship, and people strapped down to the sides of it. People's faces looking through portholes, screaming for help. Ghosts eternally drenched in winter water, forever replaying that descent into their watery grave. Ghosts walking down hallway is one thing. Ghosts hitchhiking down a dark road. Creepy, yes but not terrifying. Not a reminder of the end that waits for us all. But when you have the ghosts of women and children screaming in the darkness, reaching out for you with a dripping wet hand, it only reminds a sailor that his fate may someday be that of the specter just off starboard. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>